Welcome, church. You know, we are in our series called The Last Days. And this week, we are talking about how we know that we are living in the last days. Christ coming again in a, is a central doctrine of our faith. And I want to talk about how it's going to impact our lives. Jesus is coming again. And we believe that He is coming again. Amen. Let's turn to the Lord in prayer before we start. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for such a time like this that we can come together to hear from you. Lord, I pray for every hearers today that we will take heed of every word spoken. Take away every distraction that comes along the way. We surrender ourselves to you this morning. Ask of you to do a stirring in our heart. All this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16. It says, For the Lord Himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the angel, and with the trumpet call of God. And first, the believers who have died will rise from their graves, and together with them who are still alive and remain on earth, we will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Then we will be with the Lord forever. Amen? Is it amen or amen? And I want to start by asking you, do you believe that Jesus is coming again as described in the Bible? For someone, the answer may be no. But I must say that if you are a Bible-believing Christian, you cannot reject this doctrine that Jesus is coming again. Why is it central to our faith? Jesus is coming again. And how is it going to impact our life? That's what I'm going to address today. I remember as a 13 years old, thinking I'm not so sure if I can become a Christian because I have difficulty with this very belief. It is hard for me to believe that the end of times message. I think of some of us as Christians, we sort of understand that this is happening. But we also sort of kind of ignore it. Have you ever done that in your lives? Ignoring what is important? You sort of know that there is a danger. You sort of know that there is a potential out there. You sort of know that there is a possibility. But you, but you just come to a place where you are like, well, it hasn't happened yet. It probably wouldn't happen at all. You know, I remember when I was a teenage as a BB boy and we had one of the BB camp at BB and GB campsite at Sambawang. You know, and you know the, 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 the dormitory is next to the field. And we are told, the, the, the officers instruct us that we are not to play soccer this part of the field, which is just next to, next to the dormitory, because there's a lot of window there. So we were told not to do so, but we were mischievous that time. So what do we do? We went and played without, with the knowledge of the officers, and we played soccer in this part of the field that is so near to the window. We started playing, and in the first five minutes of the game, one of my friends, who is taking a corner kick, somehow... Kick and the ball went and hit the window and we were like, oh no! But nothing happened. The window was okay. So did we stop the game? What do you think? No, we ignore the sign, you know, and continue playing. You may be thinking how foolish and naive we are, right? The truth is that we are only thinking about the fun at that time. 
we continue playing, thinking that, you know, it didn't happen, we didn't break the window, because it never happened before. So the third time, the fourth time, the ball actually hit the window again and again, and it didn't happen, and we continue on. Lo and behold, guess what? We continue playing, and true enough, we broke one of the window, and oh man, you know, it's so funny how quickly things change. I don't know if you've ever been in such a situation. Like one minute, you know, you're having the time of your life, so much fun, and in the next minute, you're like, oh no, this is the worst night of our life. You had a transition where fun ends and terror begins in an instant, in a moment. Wow. This is how so many of us feel about the returning of Christ. And by the way, we got our punishment, of course, by playing and broken, broke the window. And this is how many of us feel about the return of Christ. We live like it is not going to come. We live like, oh yeah, it's... It's a possibility, but eventually we think, well, it hasn't happened. It probably won't happen. But the Bible make it very clear that it will happen. And it is central to our faith. But when it happens, I hope that we will not caught off guard. 2 Peter 3, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 3 to 6. And this is our passage today. We're going to take a look at this verse. Verse 3, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 3. Above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming? He promised. Ever since our ancestors die, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But listen to this, verse 5. But they deliberately forget the long ago, by God's word, the heavens come into being and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By this water, also the world of that time was deluded and destroyed. Verse 3 tells us in the verse uh, that scoffers will come. Scoffer refers to one who laughs and speaks about an idea in a way that shows that they think that the idea is stupid or silly. And verse 4, they say in a jeering way, where is this coming? Verse 5, the verse tells us that they deliberately forget. They deliberately choose to ignore God's word. They would question the promise of God's return. And they purposely overlooked the fact that God had intervened before, both in the account of creation and the flood. I wonder if this is how it feels like when Jesus how how it feels like when Jesus came the first time. The Bible has over three hundred prophecy about the first coming of Jesus. How many? Three hundred prophecy relate to his virgin birth, David lineage, birth of place, triumphant entry into Jerusalem, or donkey, his arrest, the manner of death, the resurrection, and ascension. It's all prophesied. Let's take a look at some of the prophecy from, from Jeremiah chapter 23, verse 5 to 6. He, we know that he is from the line of King David. 
It says that the days are coming, declares the Lord, and when I will rise up from David, a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. And this is the name by which he will be called the Lord, our righteous Savior. The prophet Micah prophesies that Messiah will be born in the town of Bethlehem in Micah chapter 5 verse 2. It's not like they're predicting that he will be born in like Rome. The Bible predicts that he will be born in a town of Bethlehem. Micah chapter 5 verse 2, But you, Bethlehem, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come from me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. Even more appalling is prophet Isaiah prophesies that the Messiah will be born very specifically from a virgin. Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son. And you will call him Emmanuel. Isaiah from Isaiah. David stated in Psalms chapter 22 verse 16. That the Messiah's hands and feet will be pierced. You see, the method of execution at the time of David when he wrote Psalms 22 was stoning. Crucifixion was not even invented by the Romans until 700 years later. And the fulfillment of this sign in the life of Jesus served as a validate that he was the prophesied Messiah. Amen. Now imagine this with me. If you are living in a hundred years before Christ came, and you, you heard about all this prophecy, right? And you think has been years since the Prediction of this Messiah would come and save the world. But hello, it has been thousands of years. It is a long time and it hasn't happened yet. It probably not going to happen, right? And yet he came. Amen. And it's interesting because a lot of people feel that way today too. But listen, listen to this. You know that there are eight times as many prophecies about Jesus' second coming as compared to his first coming. Are you listening? Eight times more. And the New Testament clearly established the doctrine of the second coming. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 20 to 26, Paul lay out the future expectation of the believer resurrection from the dead and the coming of Christ. He said that then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom of God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemy under his feet. The last enemy will be destroyed is death. The second coming of Christ is referred to simply as the day in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 12. As you look forward to the day of God and speed is coming. And Jesus himself, when he was on earth, also mentioned to us his coming right before he was lifted to heaven. He said that he will return this uh, uh, visually and publicly in a way that all people will see him coming in the clouds. Matthew chapter 24 verse 27. Jesus teaching at the Mount Olives, the most complete teaching of Jesus on the end times 
where he gave this great prophecy. You see, Christian is rooted in real historical events as well as future events. In the Old Testament times, the people believed in the prophetic event about the birth of Christ. We should not ignore the prophetic event that are future from our standpoint. To avoid discussion of the last days is to avoid an important part of Christian worldview. It is central to our faith. It is critical. You know, a Christian worldview becomes a driving force in our life, giving us a sense of God's plan and purpose for this world. A Christian worldview is an energizing motivation for godly and faithful thinking and living in the here and now. It also gives us the confidence and the hope of the future. In the midst of life challenges and struggles, a Christian worldview helps us to stabilize life, serve as an anchor to link us to God's faithfulness and steadfastness. Amen. In the days of Noah, when Noah heard God's command, he obeyed God, accepted what God entrusted him, took all his saving and built the ark and preached the gospel. During the time, the period of time, no matter how great the difficulty and troubles he encountered, he never shrank. He built the ark for 100 years and preached the gospel at the same time. However, no one will be willing to believe the gospel he preached and that God would destroy the world with a flood. On the contrary, people of that time all jeered and ridiculed Noah, saying you must be crazy, you are stupid. The weather is so nice, how could there be a flood? We have such a good life to lead right now. <clears throat> Why must you preach the gospel to us? <clears throat> People of that time live in their own conception and imagination. They don't believe what Noah said and thought that God wouldn't do such a things. They were not willing to repent in the presence of God, but still regularly eat, drink, enjoy themselves and live in lawlessness and sin. They refused the gospel Noah preached and got salvation and resisted God according to their own conception and imagination. <clears throat> Seeing these sins, God's heart was in pain, not because of His righteous disposition. He had no choice but to destroy that degenerated evil mankind. When the time comes, he sent a flood, destroyed the mankind who didn't believe in him, but disobeyed and opposed him, and kept only Noah's family of eight who were willing to listen to his voice and obey him. In these days, the man didn't have a lot of prophecy. They maybe only have the word from Noah. So maybe it's hard to believe. But now, with all these many signs and trends, we must recognize this gives us a complete picture of the storyline. The trend and sign of end times in current event is an urgency that we have never existed before. Jesus commanded one generation of believers to know that his return was near. It was the generation that will be alive to see all these things or the sign that he prophesied in Matthew chapter 24, verse 33 to 34. 
he says that even so when you see all these things you know that it is near right at the door truly i tell you this generation will not pass away until all these things have happened what jesus meant by all these things all these things jesus given us much insight into what he considered to be the important things to know about the generation in which he returns in fact in many areas of our lives we also look for signs to determine whether we are there yet right i remember when we had our third child timothy before he was born there was a few signs given to us before we get into the labor ward we didn't know exactly when the baby is coming but we will prepare for it as the day come nearer and nearer as the sign were more and more obvious my wife has obviously getting bigger she was more breathless and also in the last month she began to have contraction pain but at that time it was not time to deliver yet so the doctor gave her a jab then we went home a week or so later we we went back again because the pain came back rather consistently but the doctor still said need more time he didn't tell us when how long so we decided for her to stay in the hospital for the night and i will go home to settle the other two children to be honest i wasn't expecting her to deliver so fast because we had a few false alarms then the next morning i took my time to prepare and went down to the hospital i remember receiving a call on the way to the hospital that my wife was on the way to labor ward i quickly speed down as fast as i could to the hospital the moment i reached the labor ward she was already in a lot of pain and within half an hour it was i was carrying my baby was i expecting the baby to come that morning no but i'm prepared for it i'm sure i am so in the same way the good news is that there is so much biblical information on this because jesus wants his people to be prepared for the last days he doesn't want us to be caught completely surprised he wants us to be prepared only those who do not believe will be caught by complete surprise by observing the biblical signs of the times it is possible to know that the generation of jesus return yet without knowing the day or hour so what are the signs you know one of the important sign events mentioned in the scripture that alert us to the timing of his return those include the rebirth of the state of israel the revealing of the antichrist you know our senior pastor have covered this important sign event in the last few session please please review them it's so important in scripture jerusalem is always the reference point of the primary indicator in god's prophetic timetable for the end times i believe the clock has started when 1948 when israel become a nation or in 1967 when jerusalem come came under israel authority it has been 73 years since israel became a nation 73 years it can be one generation and there's an important sign events that has happened we are not to miss
Jesus also gave 12 sign trends that indicate the generation the Lord returned. When we look at the trend of the last days in current events, it shows an urgency that have never existed before. For the first time in history, most of this trend are some of the necessary development that will lead to the event are happening in an alarming measure on a global basis. Here are some signs from Matthew chapter 24. What are they? Number one, deception and the rise of false Christ. You know, there will be a, a, a rise of false Messiah that will speak forth deceptive words. Jesus put it this way in verse 4 and 5. He said to his disciple, Take heed that nobody deceive you, because many will come in my name, saying that I am Christ, and will deceive many. Do you know what is fascinating about this very prophecy is? Do you realize that before the resurrection of Jesus Christ, there is no record anywhere in human history of anyone ever claiming to be the Messiah? In fact, the first false Messiah, the first person ever to rise up upon the scene of human history to claim to be the resurrected or the coming Christ, occurred 133 years after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. False messiahs, you know, it is interesting too, by the way of history, it is said that from the resurrection of Jesus Christ up until about 1950, there is probably one false messiah every 100 years. Every hundred years, somewhere you know in the known world, someone claimed to be the second coming of Jesus Christ. For example, in the United States, we have seen over the years men like David Koresh, Jim, uh, Jim Jones, and Charles Manson who claim to be Messiah and as a result have deceived many. And in fact, one of the most important and the most popular cults today comes from South Korea. And they are everywhere. They are everywhere. They are in your university campus. They are in our cities. In fact, they have a membership of some 2 million people and have over 3,000 churches around the world. Here is another one close to our home in Philippine city of Davao. Apollo Cowboy claims to be the Messiah and believe it or not, he has a worldwide membership of over 6 million people and growing. The fact that we have, what we have seen in the last 50 years, an unbelievable rise of men who claim to be the Messiah, teaching their deception is a reminder to us that coming of Jesus Christ is very near. In fact, it's also a reminder to us that Satan is working hard to prepare the people of this world for the coming Antichrist. Second sign of trend, wars and rumors of wars. Here is another sign of the time Jesus told in Matthew chapter 24, verse 6 to 7, that there will be wars and rumors of wars. In the 20th century alone, some 187 million people has died as a result of 262 different wars. It is estimated that more than 1 billion have died over 3,400 years. More than 50 million were recorded dead during World War II. 
Wow. Not only have the wars and fatality increased, but man's capacity for wars have also increased as we have seen a technological revolution. There are weapons available today that have never been used to wage war. In 1960s, military strategies used to speak to of a total kill. That was a description of a weapon that has the capacity to kill every living thing on the face of the earth. But they no longer talk about total kill anymore. They talk about overkill. Weapon that is able to kill the population of the world. Every living thing and creature on it. Many, many times over and over again and again. We are talking about nuclear weapon. It is said that one nuclear weapon is 35,000 times stronger than the atomic bomb dropped on Hiroshima ending the Second World War in 1945. And it is said that it's just, it said that just 100 nuclear weapons can destroy the world in one hour. From a high of 70,300 active weapons in 1986, as of 2019, there are about 3,750 active nuclear warheads and 13,892 total nuclear warheads in the world. My friend, shocking statement, but do you realize the fact that we have the ability to destroy ourselves in an hour is a reminder, friends, that we are living in the last days and the coming of Jesus Christ is very near. It's a sign of the time. Third, Famine and pestilence. Here is a third sign today. It's simply, it's simply a sign of famine and pestilence diseases. Jesus put it this way in verse 7. Notice what he said. He said, there will be famines and there will be pestilence in various places. Famine is said today that two-thirds of the world, two-thirds of all people are undernourished. Every single day, 35,000 children die of starvation. That's a lot. That is 400 million every single year die from some form of malnutrition and things are getting worse. In fact, it's said that, there, that, there, that demand always overrules supply. In fact, with 80 million people being added to our planet every single year, the situation is only getting more desperate. It's only getting worse. In fact, I read that 400 million people every year die of some kind of malnutrition. Whether is it dirty water or not enough food to satisfy their hungry tummy. And it's amazing today that in the last 20 years, we have seen an in unbelievable comeback of all diseases. And when they come back, they come back with new tenacity. Many of them restrained to the old drugs. But we... As you know, it's seen like every year something new come up upon the scene. You know, in fact, the World Health Organization recently said in 2010, cancer is the number one killer of mankind. Many will die of some form of cancer. Wow. The next sign. Earthquakes. What is interesting is that power to 1950, scientists tell us that the killer earthquakes, there are earthquakes that are 7 plus in magnitude, were very rare. But from 1950 onwards, 
there been an incredible increase in killer earthquakes. For example, give me, let me give you a quick one just to refresh your memory of what we have seen in the last few years. Do you remember on December 26, 2004, in the Indian Ocean, we had that undersea earthquake that produced a tsunami which took the life of 300,000 people. It has been recorded now as the second largest natural disaster in modern history. The fourth largest undersea earthquake in modern history. A few years later, we saw an earthquake in Haiti and 223,000 people were killed. Sadly, a few days later, another earthquake strike, this time in Chile. And it said hundreds were killed. The only reason hundreds were killed, not thousands, is because it, were, it was occurred in a remote area, not in a populated place like Haiti. It, but it was 63 times stronger than the earthquake that hit Haiti, which make it the fifth largest earthquake in modern history. Then, of course, we all remember March 11, 2011, the undersea earthquake that hit Japan and 20,000 people were killed. Do you know that it was the largest earthquake in Japan history, the fourth largest in modern history? In fact, listen to this. Do you realize that the earthquake that hit Japan was so powerful that it moved the northern part of Japan four meters closer towards the United States, 15 feet out in the Pacific Ocean. It dropped 0.6 meters into the ocean. It was so powerful that it stopped the rotation of the earth for 1.3 microseconds and shifted the axis of the earth by 6.5 inches. Wow! Church, these trends are some of the necessary development that will lead to the last days are happening in an alarming measure on a global basis. We are not to ignore. Church, see God's nature is to tell and warn His people of trouble beforehand. The nature of God is always to warn before releasing judgment. So my last point we want to cover is that the last days is a motivation for us to witness. It's very interesting to see from 2 Peter mentioned that all this waiting has a reason. We wonder why it takes so long, 2,000 years, it's been 2,000 years. 2 Peter chapter 3 verse 8 and 9. Let's take a look at this verse. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the day, with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and then the thousand years like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. In this verse, God's timetable is different than ours. This one is hard to grasp in the face of all evil that we see. Yet, the scripture was quick to point out that God operates on a different last day's clock than we do. His eternal everlasting perception of time free him from human concern. Thus, what seemed so long to us might, might not be as significant when viewed from the perspective of the eternal God who survey and rule over all human history. Second, God is patient, wanting all to come to repentance. 
Peter gave us his second argument. God delays not because he is slow, but because he is patient towards sinners, giving everyone time for repentance. Though we may long for Jesus' return and the defeat of all evil, God has allowed last days to continue so that more people can turn towards Him in faith. He doesn't want anyone to be destroyed. He wants everyone to repent. This is an amazing expression of love from God. Amen. And when I think about this verse, I thank God that He didn't return when I was 13 years old. You know, if he, have de- he has delayed his return because he loved me, because he cared for me. As you see, if you have returned when I was 13 years old, you know what? I would spend an eternity separated from God. Bible tells us that God delayed because he loved me. I know there's some of you here today, you are undecided. You're like, I'm not sure what I believe about this God thing. I kind of like it, but believe in God. But Jesus, this narrative of making Jesus my Lord and Savior, I'm not sure what I believe. You see, church, we have a God in heaven who loves you so much that He's delaying His triumphant victory in the universe out of love for you. And there is no one you know that has a bigger thing waiting on that, right? I mean your boyfriend, girlfriend, husband and wife that say I wait for you. That's not a big deal as compared to what God has. You know, His delay, complete and absolute victory in the universe for you. Because God said I love you. Because you are valuable to me. Amen. That's God. And you won't find a love like that anywhere. And now being a disciple, I get pumped up because I think God is delaying His return because He's not done working through me and through us. When I look at the church, I'm like, God hasn't returned yet. That means we got work to do right now. Amen? We got to preach the gospel. We got people to save. We got marriages to restore, right? We got addiction to break. We got a revival to bring. Singapore isn't done yet. There are still people who haven't heard this message. Your family member haven't heard the gospel. Your classmate, your neighbor, your colleague haven't heard the gospel. We got work to do, church. We're going to bring this in. We're going to work until Jesus returns, right? Amen? And that's excite me. He's waiting on us. He's waiting because He loves us. And He's waiting that none shall perish. The Bible says, right out of love for us, that is encouraging to me. Amen? God is waiting because we got work to do. And if God is not here, that, then we are not done here. God is not just merciful to the lost. He's merciful to those of us who have neglected the work of witnessing to others. That opportunity for salvation is now. He's patiently waiting, giving us enough time to share the gospel with the lost. In closing, I'd like to bring you to the last verse. How should we live our life in the light of the last days? In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 14, it says, So then, dear friend, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort. You know, I love this statement, make every effort. 
I remember when I was a kid, my parents always tell me, boy, are you making effort? I would say, yeah, daddy, I'm trying. And he's like, no, you're not. You're not trying. And today as a dad, sometimes it frustrates me when my kid say, dad, I'm trying. And when I look at what he's doing, I'm saying that you're not trying. You're not even trying. You think you are trying, but you're not. You're not. Have you ever had somebody like that in your life that like, I know, I'm trying so hard as I can, but no, they are not really trying. They are not even putting effort in it. No church, we got to make every effort, you know, we can for the gospel. Every little thing we got for the kingdom. We are not going to give up. We're going to fight for it. We're going to give it everything we have. Make every effort church. You see, you know the Navy SEALs talk about 40% rule that most people give up after only giving 40% of their effort. The Navy SEALs are extraordinary because their training unlocked the extra 60% that everybody has not been using all these days. You know, today, why don't we unlock the 60% for the Lord? Peter looked at us and he said, Make every effort what do we make effort in number one follow god not culture when we ignore god's word we cut ourselves from the primary source of truth about what god is like as a result we open ourselves up to false beliefs about god one of the most influential source shaping our view of god is the world culture this is a new is happening for millennium. Even the Israelites who had a special relationship with God neglected His word and took their view about God from the culture. You see, God never commanded the people of Israel to sacrifice their sons and daughters as burnt offering. But the people of Israel were influenced by the surrounding cultures. As a result, they assumed God must be like of the other gods of the surrounding cultures. Now, the modern culture is much more accepting of homosexual behavior than ever before. In fact, it's celebrated. Consequently, some have argued that a loving God will be as accepting as the culture. After, God, after all, God is love. Church, there isn't a scripture cited or a better interpretation given on this. As the culture becomes more tolerant, so does our view of God. You know, the influence of the culture on our view of God is extremely re relevant to our lives. We need to ask ourselves an honest questions. Does my view of God look more like the world than God's word? Second, make every effort to make the most of this life. Time is a gift from God, but we abuse this gift by spending our time chasing our own pursuit rather than God himself. In the life of all these things, what keeps you busy and why? What do you spend most of your time doing, church? What does it reveal about what you want or love? We always find time for what's important to us. Our schedule is filled with what we love. 
we think that spending time with God, engaging in spiritual community, or practicing spiritual discipline are obstacles that get in the way of what we really love. Our schedule prove it. We say, I don't have enough time. I wish that there's more hour in a day. The reality is that you don't need more hours in, day, in a day. God, don't make a mistake. He has given you all the time you need to accomplish the purpose of your life. If you are too busy, it means you are either trying to do more than He asks of you or you are enslaved to your needs. The gospel confronts our complaint that we have no time. Jesus was the busiest person ever to live and never complained despite the fact that he has only three years of ministry here on earth. You see, looking at the life of Jesus is convicting, isn't it? It's frightening to think that we will stand before God someday and give an account of how we steward the time He gave us. So, we don't need more time, church. We need to use the time. We need to have to fulfill God's plan for us. Ask yourself these two questions. Who am I? And why am I here? You see, knowing that you are a Christian means that you are a disciple and who is sent to make disciples. Keep your identity and calling in mind. That will help you to decide what you should and you should not be doing. In closing, God reward us for serving Him or so serve Him, church. Live like a disciple. Live like His promise are real. Prioritize God in your life, with your finances, with your time. In your, is your pleasure more important or your kids loving Jesus more important? At home, what are you doing to show your spouse who, who Jesus is? Are you living out of forgiveness or are you holding on to bitterness? What are you doing to embody the teaching of Jesus in your life? Don't just do the minimum. Are you telling your neighbors about Him? Are you praying for your kids that will turn back to the Lord? Are you praying for your neighbors, seeking every opportunity to share your faith? You know, church, I want to declare that this, that BC will be a church with a warring spirit that say, I want to live life with a purpose. I want to embrace every moment before Jesus comes again. As we close in prayer, I want to ask every head bow, and I want to ask you one more time, are you ready for the return of Christ? I believe that God's promises are real, and I believe He is who He is say he is are you ready for his return i know that probably there are some of you today you say based on my action i have not been living like god's promise are real today and i want to make a change or there are others of you say i have never believed in god if god is calling you through this message to make a change i'm going to ask you to make a commitment right now to the lord between you and him Every head bow, every eyes closed. If you want to make a commitment to the Lord this morning, I would like you to lift up your hands, your right hands, and say to the Lord, that's me, Lord. That's me. I just want to, you to pray with me right now. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe that your promises are real. 
I ask you to forgive me and lead me. I believe that you are who you are. I believe that you're coming again. And today, I choose to make every effort to live like your return is real and bring your gospel to many. In Jesus' name, and all God's people say, Amen. Thank you.